This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Kayla Benny, currently in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Charlie Brister from the Land Down Under. And you're listening to the monthly breeding and horse sales episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July the 23rd. This episode is brought to you by Supreme Top Form. Good morning, Horse World. This is a special episode that airs every fourth Thursday of the month on Horses in the Morning. And we're going to chat about horse sales and buying and breeding. This is our sixth episode. And on today's show, we're going to answer some listener questions and speak with Alice Cameron of Oaks Sport Horses on breeding elite top show jumpers in Australia. Certainly gives us plenty of stuff to talk about, doesn't it, Kayla? Oh, man. These are some loaded questions today, too. So I hope you've got your thinking cap on. I think um, we should dig right jump right into the questions considering our producer has asked one of them i got some skin <laughs> in the game people Listen carefully. all right well let's just jump right in um well i guess first charlie how are you how's australia i'm fantastic the sun is shining the birds are chirping uh no kangaroos out here today they've uh, gone to back for a little post breakfast nap but <laughs> Everything is really busy on the horse front. We've just started uh, showing again, so really excited about that. I knocked the rust off last weekend, which was uh, good, but I had the right gear on. I had the shiny helmet on, so at least I looked like I was meant to be there. That's the important part, right? <laughs> and what are you so doing you... in Lexington? Uh, I'm here for a week of training at um, Sean Wordley and Lauren Balcom's farm. Um, it's a big week of boot camp. So yeah, well, we're getting into if, it. If you don't learn anything about horses, you'll certainly learn about sheep from a Kiwi. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. But uh, let's get into these questions so we can get on to talk with Alice. So. Um, we have a, a question, and I'm going to actually merge the three people um, that asked the question. So, how to write a good sales ad, how much is too much to put into an ad, and how long for sales videos, and what should it show? So, Charlie, what's your opinion? Well, I think it's important, obviously, to get the bare bones of the horse's information in there, age height, breed, sex, uh, you know, so what it's by, what the dam is or what the dam sire is, and then, you know, it's basic history, what it's done, what it's competing at, and then, you know, what you might think it would be suitable for. I think it's important not to waffle on too much. Um, You know, how long is a piece of string? It's hard to say exactly what that is. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with a few synonyms being used, that's for sure. What do you think? I mean, I think all of that, um, putting in location, um, because that's the one thing I most get asked, because I always forget to put where I'm at. 
Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I have and had a few interstate buyers yeah. ask about that. And obviously, you need to put price in there. It's fairly important. Or price range. Yeah, yeah and you have to be careful on Facebook because um, they get a little funny when you start putting numbers in. They might tag you since... Uh, and put you in Facebook jail since, you know, selling horses is mildly illegal on Facebook. But um, if, as long as you put the range, you know, mid five figures, six figures, if you've got a real fancy one, um, or four figures, at least you know how many zeros are at the end of, of the price. Um, I also think, you know, put what the horse is suitable for, who the horse might be suitable for for a professional and amateur uh a junior um and everything like that but maybe don't moan on about the horse's favorite color it spooks when the wind blows west <laughs> you know things like that maybe lead leave that for when people start asking you more specific questions um just a, putting a general overview of the horse um and what it best represents yeah, so. definitely. If they contact you for more information, they can uh, get a bit more of a detailed history and rundown. I think for any of those listeners out there that are looking at buying horses, uh, this is just a little FYI, you know, look at that basic information that is in the ad and then, you know, don't ask the person when you message them how old it is when, you know, the ad says it's a five-year-old gelding. Um I had to deal I'm, with that quite a lot I'm, recently. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that because that's the my biggest pet peeve, and I don't want to come off as rude, but I want to tell a lot of people, read the ad. You know, I did put a, a chunk of time in to make the ad. Please read it. <laughs> um, so when it says age, um, you know, sex, and you're like, well, I did say that it's a five-year-old mare, um, and... I put the location and I actually put a YouTube link and they ask for video and I'm like, go to the ad and click the YouTube link. Cause it's right there. I, I laid everything out for you. Um, you know, or when they comment more information, it's, it's a little hard to give more information when I don't, yeah, I don't know what information you want. <laughs> yeah. What, what didn't I get in the ad that you would like to know? So when you get, go to talk to someone, maybe be very specific with your questions um, and at least start dialogue and then they might divulge that more information, um, whatever that be. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're really happy to talk to people about horses, but we're a bit like, you know, a horse, you know, you got to lead us. you got to lead us with a question. You can't just, yeah. you know, expect to get something for nothing. So even... Um, I think that's really important, just really focusing on what information you need from the seller is really yep. important, and that'll save your time, and that'll save the seller's time as well. Well, and half the time, I'm actually responding to people, and I'm a bit naughty, while I'm on another horse riding. So I'll get a message, and if I don't answer it right then, I'll forget about it. So I'll you know, jot down a few points and push send. So if it just says more information, uh, I get a bit uh, confused because I'm like, well, what information would you like to know? <laughs> the horse is Absolutely. lovely, um, you know, so, but um, yeah. And 
how long should the sales video be? I think that it depends on the horse. You want to show, let's say, for example, a show jumping horse, you know, you need more than one show jumping round. So, but you don't want something, you know, five rounds cut up into a minute with only the two good jumps of each round in in each video. So it's it's finding that balance. I think a sales video, you know, around two minutes, I think is good for me. Yeah. You know, you need you need a little something good in the first fifteen seconds so people don't lose interest because you know, that's the way the internet works. Uh, but then if it's too, if, then have other videos, if they get past that um, and they go, hey, can I have some more video of it? Let's say it's an eventer, more video of it doing dressage or I had a recently sold the horse more for low level riding and they're like, can I have more video of it doing uh, some desensitization work? And I had that separate to the main video. Yeah. But again, that comes back to, reading the ad, watching the video, which should be, you know, a concise cross-section of everything, then asking for more uh, video in that specific area. Absolutely. And I think just, you know, for me when I do the videos and sometimes I get a little bit longer in my video than two minutes and I know personally I lose interest if it's longer than two minutes, but I really want to show off the horse and so I get very excited in all the clips and I'm like oh this is really good of it trotting and but you need to you know have clear walk trot canner if it's a jumper jumping a course or jumping a line doing some things um and just keep it short but really try to show off the horse in that time um so and please don't put music that's like it my biggest peeve i don't know why but just really weird music in the background is very distracting to me from the horse um you know if it's something soft and quiet hey. but when you get the ragers it's yeah <laughs> i think like a bit of electronic while you're watching yeah. the size test exactly i have i have made friends with the mute button on my computer when when doing that that's for sure yep yep so. And um, I think, uh, you know, it's good to what should it show. I think having some photos in there is good, uh, you know, especially let's say like more of a confirmation style shot is quite nice. You know, if it's a pony club horse, show it with a kid on it. And cause at least people are scrolling past as I do. I'll scroll, I'll scroll, I'll scroll, depending on what I'm looking for. I'll stop and then scroll back up and go, oh, that's what I'm looking for. You know, because currently I'm looking for a nice all around pony club horse for a kid. Um, I'm not going to look at the photos with the professional rider jumping it four foot. Um, I'm looking more for another kid jumping it two six um, where it looks happy uh and has a loop in the rain so yeah and i think uh you know some other things that i came across when the last horse i sold was you know people sort of not really being upfront about you know what they were looking for and what their situation was so not being shy about all those sorts of things uh, when you're talking to the seller of the horse. Uh, have you got any horses for sale at the moment, Kayla? I actually have two lovely horses. Um, 
I have a five-year-old mare by Cour d'Amour, um, which is one of the stallions of High Point Hanoverians who we interviewed in a recent pod in the recent episode. Um, but uh, she's up here in Kentucky with me to get a bit of a boot camp. She's jumping about a meter, and she's she's a spicy little lady and is looking for the right rider. So she's, she's going to be for me, um, more of a professional or a good amateur ride. And then I actually have probably the best thoroughbred I've ever sat on. Um, he's three rock and he just came off the track is quiet as can be has taken to jumping like a fish out of like in water and just um we're not doing too much of it he's three but uh uh he's a talent so I'm, I'm really excited about both of them and it's really hard for me to let either of them go so uh but if anyone's in the market you know go to sell sport horses um sell and regret <laughs> how about you what horses have currently I've got a 10-year-old <laughs> yeah. thoroughbred in for sale at the moment. He's owned by a good friend of mine and he's done a little bit of low-level eventing and she's getting into the adult world of reality, you know, having to go and do a full-time job and, you know, start to pay her own way in the world. And, you know, they're just, That's you know, you're worst. only left with so much time. Yeah, so I've got him for sale, Jay, so he'll probably – do a few more weeks of training before I start to advertise him. I just want to get that sort of collection of video good enough and also get to know him in a few different situations before I start to market him. Well, I think we should crack on and get to talking to Alice. They breed fantastic horses over at Alice's farm. I recently just broke in a young horse, not for Alice, but for a friend of mine, Rihanna, who bought a two-year-old two and a half year old from there and i can tell you he was like it was like a labrador to break in just really really kind and easy to deal with and uh just you know i'm sure he'll have plenty of jump too but his attitude really stood out to me it's being outstanding and also really well handled before we get to our main guest today i think it's worth mentioning supreme top form our title sponsor and their products are excellent work by inhibiting the formation of inflammatory products and joints. I'm going to throw over to my co-host, Kayla, tell you a little bit more about their amazing products. Supreme Top Form Joint Supplement is a 99.8% pure glucosamine hydrochloride and 99% pure hyaluronic acid. It is concentrated and easy to feed and cost-effective. It is independently lab tested for purity, so you know what you get is what is on the label. They have both dog and horse supplements, which is great for any horse person. You don't see many horse people without a dog. Visit panamvetcore.com, that's vetcore, which is C-O-R-P.com, for more information. Welcome, everybody. This episode, we're journeying journeying to my neck of the woods, the land down under. We've got Alice Cameron, the owner and manager of Oak Sport Horses, based out of the Oaks in New South Wales. Welcome, Alice. Thank you very much, Charlie. 
So I was, you know, pondering who to get on this month and Kayla was busy. She was apparently working, something like that. And I thought, far out. Just, well, just riding a few. Yeah, for a change. Who can we get on? <laughs> and it just popped into my head that I was over at the Wagon Try-On in 2018 and two of the Australian horses on the show jumping team were both bred by Oak Sport Horses. So I thought that was definitely a feat in itself. So congratulations for that. And I thought we'd better get Alice on, hear a bit more of the backstory on how Oak Sport Horses came about and, you know, what her plans were going forward. So let's start a little bit before the WEG, Alice. Uh, You were born in California, uh, I believe. I was indeed, yes. I was indeed, yes. Am I a country farmer? Yeah, and then... You ended up moving to, you know, you've gone through country, New South Wales, and then the Oaks, uh, which is down about an hour southwest of Sydney, for anyone wondering. How did, how were you involved in horses, and were you involved in breeding in any way before moving to the Oaks? Not in breeding, Charlie. Um, because we were in rural New South Wales, most of the horses were um, dual purpose. Uh, they they were used for for stock or just for recreation. Uh, probably the biggest event for most people was the local show or or the weekly annual pony club. Where um, uh, for those of you who aren't from Australia, where the kids camp for the week, they do every. Uh, possible discipline that you could imagine on the most incredible variety of horses. Um, but we had always, I've always had horses. I have a, a couple of aunts who, one, in, one that lived in California and one that uh, lived in all places of Burke who imported the first Appaloosa. So my aunts have always been uh, much more horsey than my father who was very much a tractor man. <laughs> and what was your first introduction to the more European style of warm blood, was that when Hillary first started, your daughter first started getting into show jumping at a young age? Well, I always thought uh, um, dressage would be uh, more where uh, Hill would end up. I'm talking about at nine. Uh, I have another daughter, both of them, uh, Georgia, and both of them were interested in in dressage um, combined training and at that stage, you had we had um, stock, a combination of stock horses or retired thoroughbreds. Uh, but once once they we actually came down to the Oaks and started to become more specific and show jumping lit the fire. Um, nearly every every horse at that stage, we're talking probably you know, twenty years ago, probably a little more, um, were either thoroughbreds off the track. There were a few warm bloods, and they just stood out for their um rideability i mean they were really to say show jumping into dressage what you know the quarter horses became to cutting and that sort of thing they they were just had an aptitude for it and uh just the purpose bred horse just to me really stood out and when what was the moment that really uh was the catalyst for starting your breeding program and you know, who who did you go to in, right in the beginning when you first thought, okay, we're going to start putting something together for the long term? Um, 
I would have to say that you know the the idea of, of having the horses and breeding them yourself became, was was very attractive to me. Having having been you know a farmer, we'd ha- we'd had cattle and and uh, uh, other other animals. Um, the people that uh, probably were the most helpful to me as far as locating the, the process, getting the right horses, pinpointing the right ones, were um, Helen Chug and Chris Chug and Mike Barrera. Um, they actually, um, when they were in Europe, chose my first four mares, and uh, and they've always been great mentors and uh, and help going through. So that was that was the very start. They picked the first four mares, and and one of them, Miss um, Scarlett, who's who is the mother of one of the ones that was at uh, WAG. Um, they've just been uh, fabulous mares, both for competition and and for. Um, uh, breeding as well yeah it's interesting you say that because uh helen and and chris have, have certainly had a huge impact on the australian jumping scene and those two horses i mentioned at the the oaks had at the weg were both by conquistador which was a chug stallion is that right that's right. They um, they bred. Uh, actually, maybe I'm, I'm maybe not correct there, um, but they certainly had Conquistador as a young horse, um, and uh, he was a Clinton heartbreaker, and uh, you know just you know, fabulous influence on uh, Australian breeding. But I think Vivant even more so. I think the cross the crosses have been particularly good, and I think Vivant will prove to be one of the you know foundation size of brood bears in Australia. He, his, um, he, he was a type of horse that really appealed to Australians too because he was, you know, plenty of blood, lighter, um, and, um, and and just such a character and so sound. I mean, look, he's still, you know, he was still jumping at 20 and, and he's, you know, he's had a terrifically long career with a lot of riders. But that combination of um, of the Conquistador Vivant has been uh, a huge boost to to Australia, not only our breeding program, but, but Australia-wide. They were used very widely, and the Vond especially knit um, very well with thoroughbred mares as well. Yeah, the Vond's really, really good, actually, even the dual purpose, because we've seen in Australia, or they would have seen at uh, Tryon, his progeny in the eventing as well uh, with Shane Rose for the Australian team. That's true, yeah. And so mm, when... No, that's- when uh, you you've got quite a good setup out at the Oaks, what was that a bit of a struggle to find somewhere, or did you go, this is what I need, and then you put that into place at the at the farm you purchased? Oh, Charlie, it's like everything. You start with a little tiny piece, and you keep following it. If if I had started, if I'd known where I was going to be, yeah, you know, in ten years, I would have gone about it in. Differently, um, I I had sold my property at Moree when I moved here and thought I just have to have a little bit of land and a few acres around me. <laughs> had no idea I was going to start a horse stud, and uh, so just bought these four mares. Thought, oh well, they'll be out in the paddock, and and away we go. Kids can ride a few horses. Um, but then we started to get serious about it. So bit by bit, um, we turned an old dairy farm into into a stud, and of course your ideas are small. And so it, it, if we started you know, from scratch, it would have been far more efficient at the end product. 
but I can't tell you how much barbed wire, rusty stuff, and um, you know, things underneath the ground that we had to get rid of in order to get good surfaces and things. But that's part of the part of the, of the uh, unplanned, I suppose. Not even a plan. Well, it's it's very much on the side of a hill when you get there. Do you think? having such varied terrain has in some way been beneficial for the young horses working over that and running over that? Uh, look, I think uh, the the ground there is quite good. Um, I think the, the variety of terrain, we, ha- we have an area uh, that, that is on the flat um, and uh, that produces you know, excellent pasture. Um, I, I think having... You know what Australia's like. It's either very wet or very dry, and so it, it gives us well-drained areas as well as um, as well as flat. Um, it's all there's always challenges when you're trying to uh, do flat work on arenas, and it means development is a little bit more expensive. But uh, we've got good local um, uh, earth movers that have certainly helped us with our, our arenas and drainage and things like that. And uh, I never hesitate using. And yet local people always know know the best and. Uh, uh, it's been a, it's been a a, a a good property to be. It's it's quite private. It's it's still on the road, but we don't have road noise. Um, and now it's 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 worked very well. And both both the indoor and the out, outdoor are very serviceable, and we're very happy with our surfaces as well. So you mentioned uh, that you probably would have gone down a different track if you had have realised what the end product was going to be like. What's the current state of affairs at your place? How many how many horses do you have on the place at the moment or, you know, in your care? Um, well, in, in all, the, there are, are approximately 100 horses on the property. Some are just as, some are young horses, um, uh, you know, that are just developing. Um, and we have a few uh, clients as well. Uh, with with We have one resident rider, and but at the moment... Um, we're, we're trying to, um, uh, you know, cut down our, our breeding program. I'm getting a little long in the tooth, <laughs> so probably <laughs> running out of a little bit of energy. Um, but but also, uh, we've, we've got a, a bit of a generational change in our mares. Of course, we're always bringing on their daughters, and I mean, the daughters should always be, you know, better than their mothers, or certainly add, you know, add something new, or you wouldn't be doing your job as a breeder. Mm. Um, but um, we're we're at a very comfortable stage now as far as the number of horses and and what we're working, um, and we're yeah we're looking with um, the project I guess is to um, we'll send some my my daughter Hillary is is uh, based in in Netherlands and so she has a team of horses over there in a small stable at Volkensvard. and so you know we'll try to uh, send some horses you know to her but well she has several oaks horses at the moment and so um and we also have mm, three or or four that are um that have been sold to the u.s and so it's it's nice to be starting to um uh internationalize so it's which has been been terrific (laughs) well it's it's like planting an orchard i mean you know breeding a horse takes a long time and especially as you know especially in the show jumping game well um, it takes so long before you really have something that is um, recognised by other people because you know your thoroughbreds are usually you know had their careers from three and they're retired at five and and ours are really 
still in the baby ring at five and they're starting to hit their straps at eight, nine, twelve. Um, so it's a, it's a whole different uh, it's a whole different ball game. And and that's all, I think obviously always the question for um, well for breeders especially because how long do you hold a, a horse? Um, you, you know, you, you really the riders or your um, your clients, the people that buy your horses, are, are, are the best advertisement. Yeah, they're really your partners because they're doing your promotion for you. Because um, you know, we were in a very position, good position early on in that we didn't actually advertise our stock. It was more that it was available for sale. And um, so I was very fortunate in that, that our uh, horses like uh, Redwood and Constellation and uh, Chacolino that's in Europe um, all went to people who mm, were seeking something special in, in a horse. And so they've gone to horse, not, not um, I, I, there would be very few of our horses that have, have fallen into, you know, hands and really haven't had careers. We've been really fortunate in that in that respect. And I think at the moment we were we were at uh, Equus last year. I think we had, uh, I think there might, I think there were 22 Oaks horses there, and they were in every class from from juniors right through to uh, the Grand Prix, and and so they're suiting a lot of different riders. So that's that, uh, you know. The competitors and riders and, and the horsemen that have them have been you know, definitely part of our journey as well as uh, as Hillary at the uh, Elite End for our own stable. I think that, yeah, like you said, that's the best advertisement is is having, you know, horses competing at the Grand Prix on multiple continents. But let's take a step back uh, from all that uh, Grand Prix action. And Kayla and I are always interested in finding out what, people's ideas are on feeding and you know what a rough uh day of you know feeding looks like for both the brood mares and and the young stock and then also uh we'll go in yeah we'll tell us about what that looks like at oak sport horses oh with um let's say starting with our let's well let's say start with our brood mares uh a fantastic uh, stud manager who's been with me for oh 15 years and uh, I must say the hills you were just asking about before have been terrific for the mares it does keep them moving um, they're they're on pasture most of the time but they're they're supplemented uh, with with um, minerals and hay as required we'll, as much as possible we'll keep them on natural feed always with their supplements with uh, whether it will be with the salt and any uh, you know, their, their um, required feeds as they go but we we hay when they need it, or if it gets particularly wet, they need a little bit of dry feed as well. Um, and and the foals, uh, we fold them all down, obviously at home. And the um, uh, the the foals are supplemented as as they uh, you know as they as soon as they they can pinch their mother's food, basically. <laughs> and uh, um, but we try to keep our men. A little bit light because, well, as you know, the warlords certainly only have to look mm. at food and they, they put on very quickly. And so we do try, try to run them as um, not let them get too heavy. And, that, and the hills have been really valuable for that. We, we try as much as possible to keep the, the mares and the foals in, in larger paddocks as opposed to, um, uh, you know, just in yards or, or in, in small flat places. We vary where they are. Uh, we found the last few years in Australia have been particularly challenging because it's been so dry, and um, 
probably the biggest toll. I think that takes, uh, well, it's, it's a plus and a minus. I think with the, with our, with feet in Australia, it means the, their feet change size. They can nearly change a size in, in, uh, in hoof when they're from the wet into the dry um, periods. Mm, definitely. And so, so the challenge, you know, for our farriers and for management, um, you know, just making sure that, you know, when it's dry, they can tend to be, you know, you know, split and crack. And then when it's wet, they all of a sudden start to grow. And and then because they've been dry for so long, it takes a long time for the uh, for the foot to grow down, uh, not to grow down, but to, to change its um, surface area. So that's the farrier is a, you know, is a constant person, not, not correctively, but just to keep on top of the changing conditions. Uh, but the other the other good thing about horses growing up in Australia is, is they usually have a very good bone density because our, our ground does tend to get get hard, and so that's why the other thing about keeping the weight off them is important mm. because um, we, we've we've found in the past when we if we brought horses over as mature horses to Australia, they they don't stand up as well uh, because they haven't been on the hard ground before. Whereas when when um, if our horses go, uh, say to Europe, there's they're they're just rock solid because their their bones are strong and dense. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot Sorry, of sense. I guess I guess that's why the um, the English, you know, spend so long walking and trotting on the roads to to harden the legs up because they've got so much wet ground over there. So. Um, no, that makes total sense. And then when you've when you've got the young horses, at, you know, roughly what age would you look at weaning them, and what's your uh, process for uh, weaning all your foals? We've gone uh, through a different few different processes over the years. Um, we normally wean at uh, around about five months. If we've got if we have one that's say overly large or that we're, you know, maybe it's, it's bones are particularly big. We might um, wean those a little bit early just to get them off their mums as, as like with people that um, there's a little bit of you know, individualizing with diets. Um, <laughs> and uh, the um, normally around that five months and we, we've, we've gone through a few different times when we had luxury of a little bit more space, we would often just take one mare out at a time. And that was, yeah, that was a really easy easy way for the foals. Um, but then what we found now is we we have a few more horses, and so um, we we also find now we we bring we do two or three at a time, bring them into the boxes, and it's a it's a really good time for extra handling. Uh, what when you're asking about our process with the foals from the very start, they're um, handled immediately. Um, and uh, Nat always leaves them in for the first week, ten days, so that they um, they learn about people and and a bit of imprinting, and then they go in with the herd into a small number, um, maybe you know two or three, and then they gradually you know end up in their in their age group. Uh, we're not talking a lot of a lot of horses here either. I mean, we've been so lucky in that we can um, keep our numbers down. I think our, our biggest years were maybe you know twenty twenty two um, foals. Uh, we're we're probably half that now, and it's been uh, we're finding that it's even as 
20 were, were small breeders compared to many of the European breeders, yeah. and, and we can very much individualize our horses. Uh, and Nat, Nat, um, Natalie does a fantastic job of making sure they're handled. The far, um, we, we got such a compliment from um, our vet the other day who said, I always love coming here because even your young horses are better behaved than most people's six-year-olds. So um, they are. They're used to those processes. That makes yeah. such a big difference when they're when they're well handled. Like you said, if the vet and the farriers uh, can, you know, enjoy working with them, it makes their job a lot easier, and they put that extra time and effort in. And then someone that's a bit shorter, like Kayla, can, uh, you know, ride them a bit easier. <laughs> and I can climb oh, on. And speaking <laughs> of riding, uh, roughly, what age do you start your horses at? Um, again, it's a little bit size dependent. I mean, like we'll, we'll find the amount of work that they will tolerate. But usually, we start breaking in um, at, at two and a half, um, two, two and a half to three and a half. Um, it's uh, and I think they're they've had some handling beforehand anyway. Mostly, we bring them into the indoor. As you, I think one of the things that you were asking about before was assessment. Well. You know, when do you assess? How do you do it? It's really ongoing from the time that they're very young. Uh, we bring them into the indoor, watch how watch how they move around, how they react to um, to to being guided. You know, do they do they do they react and want to get away? Do they want to you know play the game? Do they understand? Uh, we'll put them over poles so that they can uh, see what they're doing. Um, but under under saddle, we'll we'll usually break them in at that two and a half to three and a half. And, I, th I think um, it's good being size dependent, and, you know, getting those slightly bigger ones done a little bit earlier and not necessarily doing more with them, but just getting them a bit more uh, manageable before they, you know, get to 17.2 or so. Well, and then they know where their <laughs> well, feet are. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. It, it, it's, um, and I think, I think you you often find that those big ones in in the paddock with their with their herd, um, they they've never really they've never had to get out of the way because they just barge through because they can and everyone gets out of their way and it's not that they're aggressive and it's not that they're um, you know stupid or or thick it's just just moves away from them and so they when they really do have to learn usually they're the slowest under saddle like as far as training because they still have so much growing to do as you quite rightly say Kayla but but on the other hand they do have to learn their ground manners and and respect yeah. and uh and trust I mean the, the the nicer we can make them as people and as characters um and and let their own personalities come through the better the home that they will have and the more easily um workable they are and more trainable and tractable for their new owner and so I, I think that's been one of the reasons that um, we, we find the horses at all levels because basically they're nice, uh, you know, it's never bomb-proof, but as vice-free as we can make them. Do you have breed societies come and assess your mares and foals? Uh, yes. we um, in, in Australia, we are very fortunate that um, the Australian Warm Blood Horse Association um, AWHA is is the uh, acronym um, was established, and uh, the founders made sure that it it was had the five pedigree um, 
provenance and they've always been very meticulous about the uh, about the breeding and so it's it easily transfers to um, the international breed societies the Holsteiners the Hanoverians uh, it's it's uh, so it's totally acceptable breeding wise um, and they've been they've been a terrific help for the breeding and for um, from the I, I register every foal um, mm. I think it's a it's something that that when you when you pass um, you know something that I think I think is a, is a, it's the product that we produce. Uh, I'm proud of it. I'd, I'd like to be able to to sell it with its provenance, so everyone knows what the pedigree is. And then it's also easier easier for the owner to um, to register it, to to you know, to follow its path. And if they want to breed, they they can also um, have something that's already registered. They don't have to go through all the the protocols to do that. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult. You, know, you find you often find that there's a you know, a, a fabulous mare that's done, you know, had a great performance record. And um, as you, um, Kayla and, and uh, Charlie would know, in Australia, in, until maybe the last, you know, 10 years or even five years, sometimes you you, flat, you, <laughs> you see the entries and it's unknown and unknown on Sire and Dam. And, and uh, yeah. I think that's starting, that's been changing over the last um, last few years. We were talking to uh, Jodie Hartstone in New Zealand about this two months ago because she said the breed breed societies in New Zealand are well behind and the whole attitude uh, is a bit different there. And she was trying to get people into that more so that you know you could understand where the horses are bred, where they're from, and then also going forward, you know, then what crosses are working better. If you don't have that information, uh, it's hard to know. It's look. It's a really. It, it's a part of the the horse process that I think has been. Um, it's only just starting to bite in Australia because we're very much, um, as a whole, we're we're very performance oriented, and so it. You know, most riders they really don't care what the breeding is as long as it jumps. Um, be, and Guilty. part of that, part of it yeah. is um, not having access to the information. Whereas we're really trying hard to get the. Um, on our draw sheets, um, just to have the sire, the dam, the age, um, and and breeders, so that people will only become interested in breeding if the information is readily available. Um, but the the, um, the Holsteiners, the Verband is um, is strong in Australia. Um, but the AWHA, we the, um, the whole, I think the Hanoverians also have. Um, most of these societies, and as well as ACE, which is the uh, just a performance registry, they have a um, mostly have assessment tours, annual assessment tours, and uh, where they'll bring in uh, an overseas uh, person as well as someone local to look at the horses confirmationally, temperamentally, uh, see their paces, their foundations, and uh, and give them a mark, and it helps. As far away as we are, it helps give them, give us a a, um, a guide to how we're going, not only on our own farm but nationally and internationally, and that's been a good thing. And uh, you know, little sort of uh, little brag here, we've we've been really fortunate with our um, uh, horses that uh, for the last ooh, two, maybe maybe three out of the last five years, we've had. Um, you know the top and second top, top uh, national horses, which is against 
yeah, for a jumper to um, have a type and and uh, against the dressage horses, we've been thrilled to bits with. Yeah, very impressive. And now you go. Oh, if I can, if I can just jump in. Now, do you have any bloodlines, Alice, that you prefer, um, or how do you pick stallions? Um, what's your process like? Um, I guess I really, I mean, the process, it, it, it's evolved, um, it's- Kayla, over the years. I, I, I guess in the very beginning, I um, I had really, really strong mare lines. Uh, and and really the strength of our breeding program was, was with the mares. Um, my, my foundation mares, uh, one was a, a Darko Cannon. There was a Jalisco B. Grand Veneur, um, a, you know, a... Um, uh, a, a Cassini one brown boy, you know, good solid mares that um, that you, nearly you could put to anything because the mares would, you know, mm-hmm. carry the strength of it. But then we were also fortunate at the same time to have, um, you know, as I say, Vivant and Conquistador. We also um, uh, Canon. Uh, we, we because I've got such a variety of mares from from you know quite a few different European stud books. I don't think we really have an Oaks type because, um, you know, whereas most studs with, with a stallion will tend to use their stallion with a variety of mares. Uh, we've been the reverse. We've used the mares with a variety of stallions. So, um, yeah, it's, um, I, I very much like those, uh, the lines that are coming through now. We've, we've found interestingly, uh, Quintenda has been a terrific, um, horse for us. And I know he's not, he's not wide, widely used, but, but he nicks very well with some of our mares. Um, we have a young stallion in Europe that's, uh, by Quintenda, but out of a Vivant Landardle mare. Um, so I love the French, you know, the, the French blood, the, um, the Jalisco B lines, the, uh, Cour de la Briere. Um, th- those are generations ago, but you see the strength of those pedigrees coming through the con- contenders, the C lines of, you know, add so much, um, you know, substance and good mind to, to our thoroughbreds. And I think it's a constant, you know, pendulum swing. Do we want more blood? Do we now need to introduce, uh, a little bit more, you know, solidity, but and courses are changing. I mean, global global tours are bringing. A, a, we're breeding a different type of horse for that than you do for a a, um, a, a four day world championship format. Yeah, Charlie, it's certainly you were talking tough. About, um, try on. Yeah, yeah. When we went to try on, you know, I was thinking, oh, this. I was so. Um, I was quite taken aback with the number of very very big horses because for four days. A lighter, bigger horse finds the whole job a lot easier than, you know, a, 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 a you know, a, a smaller, more agile horse. Everyone, every horse has its, its niche. You know, I think the the global tours need something, you know, quick and fast. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, horses for courses, as they say. Yep. What's how have you managed the your breeding now that? Hillary's in Europe. She's got Oaks Milky Way and a couple of the other good horses. And you mentioned that young stallion. What are you doing with regards to either breeding from embryo transfer from the Grand Prix horse Milky Way and also the young stallion? Have you started using his semen yet or what's the plan there? Um. Yeah, well, especially in these in these uh, COVID times, it's been been great time to say do you know, follow up on the breeding program as opposed mm. to um, 
you know, you can't keep your horses peaked all the time. Uh, so it's um, it, it it has been a good time. Uh, we've been uh, we we have had a few em, uh, an embryo just the other day from uh, Milky. Um, we've actually put her to Shakun uh, Blue. Um, we've, we've, we've had good results also with, with the, um, emerald semen. We like emerald and, and in fact, we have a, um, a Quasimodo mare that we've, we've just put to I'm special to Muse, who's, who's a, um, emerald son. Uh, it, it's, it's a good time to be, to be doing that sort of thing. Um, but yes, as far as our own stallions, we have a, we have a young, um, uh, Holsteiner stallion that we imported here. He's by Katoki and out of a Cassini one Kalido mare. Um, and he's he's produced some of the, well, he, he was one of the ones that produced the elite folds. And our quizzical, who's Quintenda Vivant Landartle, um, also, we've been very, very happy with their folds. Well, it sounds like it's a good time to, uh, you know, book in a horse to a, a mare, to one of your stallions. With Corona going on, <laughs> there you go. And so you you uh, mentioned well, uh, embryo. You got uh, you got an embryo out of uh, Milky Way. Um, how how often do you find you can do? How often can you do that? Since she's been in Europe, this is the first year we've um, we've um, bred with her, mainly because we've got a little bit of time now. Um, but before she went to Europe, we um, we did uh, get some embryos, and in fact, probably later on this year or next year, we've, we've got um, uh, that there's a, a milky emerald that uh, we'll send over to Hillary, um, and, and we have um, oh, I think there's probably. Well, I think we've got four here. Um, so I, I think breeding with them young when they're very, very fertile, if, if you think they're going to do well, is a good time to do them. Then they're growing mm. and, and ready to go by the time the mare's getting older. I, I think most, most people would say it's, it's often hard. It's, it's hard for mares to do two jobs. Um, it, and even like with human athletes, it's very difficult to to be a competitor at the top end of your sport and be particularly maternal as well. So I think we often find that sometimes the the best mares or mothers are the ones that have been, you know, for whatever reason, uh, either determined to be a brood mare or um, or or injured early, and so that they instead become brood mares and and. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's always a way up. It's a discussion I think you know a lot of breeders and horsemen would have. Um, sometimes it's the only access that you have to the genetic material, um, but uh, it's and some mares cope with it and some mares don't. Yeah, and certainly you got to weigh all that up. And you mentioned that the you know obviously we talked about the best advertisement was your horses out there with the top riders and going Grand Prix. What about what do you think's important uh, when you know you're putting together when an ad- advertisement for a young horse or you're trying to sell something? What do you think's important to have in that? And also, where would you do that? Is that through Facebook, word of mouth? Um, if you were going to advertise, um, we find uh, Facebook is probably you know the best tool. Um, but word of mouth, uh, again, because of numbers and things, uh, I think um, because 
And, and also, well, the other thing that sells your horses is is your reputation. Um, I I think that's that's one thing I I can say with all honesty is is that we're we're very candid about our horses. Uh, I I think you know if what we say it is it is. Uh, we, 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 it, there's no advantage for us in in making a good sale and then finding we've got someone who's disappointed with the end result. So it's it's very much a partnership with with our our, our um, owners. So uh, probably full scale advertising isn't probably isn't something that we've we've re- really done much of. Yeah, and I guess it's. It, um, you know, probably as a rule, our, our young horses, uh, you know, comparatively to to someone who markets um, for the sake of a big sale, our young horses probably haven't been you know hugely expensive in the, in the scheme of the market. Um, but um, and again, depends on what stage you sell them. Do you sell them as foals, uh, two year olds? Um, increasingly, we're selling them now. Um, just prior to breaking in, because it is a big investment, and um, we'll some will run on because obviously we need need more horses, you know, to to keep competing. Um, but um, yeah, that's well. It's always it's always better if you can. Everyone's nightmare. <laughs> it's definitely better if you can get them sold before you have to pay me to break them in. That's for sure. Um, well, that's right. Or, or then oh, Kayla to prices run. are going up all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I've got to eat. Exactly you know, right. I've got to eat a lot. It's been it's been yeah, great right. having you. It's been great having you on, Alice. And I thought I'd just tell everyone uh, where they can find more information about your horses and your breeding program, and any of the services you offer. And that would be at oaksporthorses.com. You also have a Facebook page. Oak Sport Horses, and I think with the same name for Instagram. Is there anything else um, that you'd like to add or um, let the listeners know about? Oh, uh, just I guess watch this space. I mean, I, th- I think we're we're hoping to uh, see more of our horses um, out competing once competitions start again. It's, it's probably like most of us. It's been a terrific time with COVID to concentrate on young horses, get them going. Um, anyone who's uh, in Australia, especially who's who's thinking about breeding, uh, we are casting. I think we're really looking forward to his progeny. Um, he had his. Uh, he had 120 foals on the ground in Europe before we brought him uh, in, and they're just now starting to go in the young horse rings. So I think the eldest of them is five. So we're pretty excited about about um, watching their progress. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, casting is the uh, his uh, Katoki Cassini one, and so uh, he's a beautiful horse. He, you could breed anything with him. He's uh, well, we'll, a lovely. Character. We'll put a link to your website in the show notes for the podcast, and you never know. Okay. We can't wait to see some Oaks horses competing at the top level again soon. As soon as Corona's eased up. Oh, Thanks I again, thought- Alice. Well, thank you for listening to this special episode on Horses in the Morning. I'm Kayla Benny, and I can be found at Facebook, Kayla Benny, or Selkuth Sport Horses. And that's selkuthsporthorses.com. And Charlie, where can they find you? You can find me all over the World Wide Web, bristerequestrian.com, uh, also at Bristerequestrian on Facebook and Instagram. 
So plenty of options there. Might even start a Twitter post, you know, can I even be a bit of a twit sometimes just to get a bit more reach. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, you can find the links to today's guests and show notes at Horses in the Morning. You can also follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search Horses in the Morning. You can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you with our free app for iPhone or Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. And I'd like to thank our title sponsor, Supreme Top Form. And uh, Brister, thanks for being an awesome co-host. No problem, Kayla. It's glad it's running smoothly. And we even got the uh, head producer today because our show is going so well. So just remember, everyone, head on over to supremetopform.com. Check out their stuff because they're really keeping the show on the road and enabling all of you to listen to Kayla and I ramble on. So just remember, everyone, eat, ride, nap, repeat. And remember, riding like life doesn't need to be perfect to be wonderful. Give your horse a pet after every ride.